It's The Right Hook, of course, with George Hook. And Tuesdays at this time, I, get, I get, must say I get very excited because I'm never sure where Moncombe again is going to take me. Sometimes it's really exciting and sometimes I think, well, I'm never going to go there. But the great thing is, you listening and me here, we don't know where he's going either. Moncombe, welcome to the programme. Thank you so much, George. Last week, it was quite emotional between the two of us because we went to Paris and, and obviously following the atrocity and everything. This week, you're going a bit further afield because it's our international week. Mm-hmm. Where are you going? So over the over the months, over the years now, God, I've been coming to the studio, we've been looking at different elements of China. I haven't managed to convince you of any of them. We've looked at Beijing, we've looked at Shanghai, we've looked at Xinjiang in the far sort of Gobi Desert. That sort of tickled you, I remember. Um, Taiwan we've looked at this time I want to look at right into the heart of China this is for people who are really uh, like fascinated with China one way or the other we are all going to have to be fascinated China is our future you know they are the majority of our world we are all going to engage with them sorry I don't want an economic lecture okay. this is a travel lecture <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And, okay, and I'm just saying people will go I don't want to go to China is that okay that. I'll go to Hong Kong that's yeah. as far as I'm prepared to go <laughs> okay uh, I'm going. I can. I'm going to drag in the opium wars. That'll interest you some degree, <laughs> if, that, if I can. Um, so where are we going? Well, I want to look at the, the Yangtze River, the Three Gorges, the Great River Journey, um, which has been sort of mythologized in Chinese culture, you know, from like for a thousand five hundred years. But then, when the when the British arrived, when they came looking for the opium, this was where they had heard about the beautiful, you know, those beautiful classic Chinese images of a river and a rock and a sort of one tree up above it. These are all images of the Yangtze River. So in the thirteenth century, it's a huge river. It's the third biggest river in the world. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So after the Amazon and the Nile, it is um, the third biggest river. But it it informs everything about China. So it splits China in two, the north and south. It goes the whole way from Tibet, in fact, even further from the western mountains, through Sichuan, through Yunnan, until eventually gets into Shanghai and pours into the East China Sea. But it dictates every single thing about China. So 40% of the GDP comes from this area. It irrigates um, 400 million people get their water from the river. So where all of the attention so far is on Beijing and Shanghai, you know, when we look at China, they are just window dressings. They are just facades. They are fake facades on the world. The real China lies on either side of this river, north and south. So the the peasants, the 90% of the peasants, the one billion people, this is where they, I'm going to say are, but with every day, less of them are here and more of them are moving to the cities, as we know. Um, But, you know, this is where they have always been uh, and, okay. and now you don't go to the movies, of course, but the Yangtze first came to my attention uh, round about 1950s when true story a British gunship uh, called HMS Amethyst. It was when the Chinese communists were kind of flexing in their muscles, and the Amethyst was was uh, blockaded in the Yangtze. And then it escaped by night. So it was a bit of a thriller and a great movie, but based on fact. And that's the f- and that made me funny enough as a kid read about the Yangtze then because of that movie starring Richard Todd. If you're interested. I get you. Well, so like back in the 13th century, Marco Polo was so awed by it. He said innumerable cities and towns along its banks and the amount of shipping and carries and the bulk of merchandise that merchants transport by it were just were just beyond his ken, were beyond his understanding. The one interesting thing, the towns, well, uh, the towns along it, whatever have survived, whatever haven't been flooded by the huge rising of the Yangtze River that we'll have to deal with, um, have some beautiful 
awful old colonial buildings in them because when the British and when the sort of the European powers arrived around 1860 after the second um, Opium Wars, they part of their deal to demand access to the to the ports, the treaty ports, were to get up into this area because not only do they want to get to Shanghai, once you control Shanghai, you can go up the Yangtze and get right into the heartland to trade and to guarantee these sort of the, these new um, Western capitalists huge markets. So there's still some so, some sort of nice. Uh, 19th century buildings there. The three gorges are basically gorges, okay? They're basically narrows where the huge, slow-moving Yangtze or Changjiang is the Chinese word, narrows into, into rocks. And you get these gorgeous striata or sort of rock facades, limestone rock facades on either side with the water careening through it. The way to do it, the the problem is, if you had done this 20 years ago, uh, if you had done this 10 years ago, it would have been far more spectacular because that was before the Three Gorges Dam. There's no one on the face of the earth who doesn't know about the Three Gorges Dam and it's one of the reasons to go and see this part of the world. It is our equivalent of the pyramids, you know, or our equivalent of the Great Wall. Basically, you know, this dam that was created, which is the size of England when it, after it was created, began in 1971, finished in 2009. It rose the entire level of the water by uh, 175 metres. So basically all the rivers that were on the water's edge are now underwater. So now you're not going to see the, the towns anymore. You're going to see the towns that were rebuilt 175 metres above the river, which, you know, no other culture in the world would Yeah, have only China could do this, like, just presumably just move everybody and say, you're moving out of your house today because we're flooding us. Yeah, so move, like, and so it's a weird thing when you're doing the river journey because you're, it's what you're not seeing that's bowling, bowling you over. You're imagining the 13 cities, the 140 towns, the 326 villages that are underneath the water that were there had you done this journey 10 years ago. You know, uh, and are you on? Um, you're doing this by boat now. Yeah, are you? yeah, yeah. Uh, most of it I did by boat. A lot of it no. it gets very long, so you do it by train too. Uh, yeah, by bus and train. But basically, 1.5 million people were moved. Yes. How are you going to do it, and what are you going to go and see? You're going to start. So Shanghai is in the uh, east. Yes. So you're starting in the west, and you're heading east. The river is right. going heading from towards Shanghai. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So where you, where do you hitch up with the river? Well, I mean the whole the whole river itself is like is is three thousand kilometers long. Well, it's actually six thousand three hundred kilometers if you started up in Tibet. But the 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 expanse that we, is sort of that the boats could do is about three thousand kilometers, uh, two thousand six hundred kilometers, and it would take you it would take you ten. Are days. these like cruise ships, or, or are they pretty basic? Like uh-huh. that monk on is there in his shorts and his sandals. Okay, so that is the option. So, um. The, I want you to do uh, the normal trip is sort of maybe to uh, to from Wanzhou to Yichang. That'll take between three and six days, depending how how long you know how how much time you spend on the on the side trips. You have a normal number of different uh, options. You can go on a luxury cruise tri- ship, and if you do, you'll get access to the Three Gorges Dam, which is worth doing. But that's going to cost you at least a grand and a half. Probably cost you two and a half grand. And if you spend too much, you're going to be completely insulated, isolated, and insulated from the local Chinese people, which is not what you want. You could also for the, you could do the same trip rather than spending a grand and a half. You could do it for 150 euros. 
And uh, you're with all Chinese people. You do it. You're with on a little Chinese. And now people. there's some old dear sitting next to you cradling a, a chicken or something. <laughs> exactly. You're the, okay with that, but I'm not. Well, and but even the websites for these. There's a website, <laughs> and if, if you want to do it for 125 euros, in okay. third class sleeper, which as you say, everyone's slurping noodles around you and uh, sunflower seeds crunching on sunflower seeds and throwing the the shells on the the husks on the ground. Check out TimesChinaTours.com. Okay. On the website, they will say, this boat is not comfortable for Western passengers. <laughs> you have been warned, okay? But you will have an experience of a lifetime, okay? Um, otherwise, you just... You've done this, presumably. Oh, I have, yeah, yeah. And uh, we, my brother and I insisted on taking trips that our, our tour guide, our local Han Chinese tour guide, found too disgusting. She wanted to go, like, white gloves... Um, you know, smoked out windows everywhere and we'd insisted on going third class. So you just get on board, any of these, you pull up at any of the ports along the Yangtze, you get on board and you say, Sanding, which means third class, please. You hand over some cash. Some t- It will not be 1,500 euros. It'll probably be 20 euros. You get up. But the problem is then you're going to be on a water boat, a hydrofoil, okay? And you know the way hydrofoils, the glass, that plastic windows they have are totally uh, clouded up they're first very thick and clouded up and scratched you hardly see anything so there'll be one window now the Chinese don't want to look out at this river again it's just like you know you're not going to look out at the Liffey so there'll be be kids there'll be one little window open at the back and you and some five kids will probably be staring out but you will get to see it and if you time it right you can just get uh, off land to see to see what are you going to see okay so let's say you're doing this journey from Wanzhou to Yichang first thing you're going to see is the old capital is Fengji which is Again, it's hard. This was like a very important capital in the 8th century BC. But that doesn't mean much to me and you. Like the fact that it happened during the spring and autumn dynasty. The Chinese are fascinated by that. We don't know enough. Our ignorance, you know, means that we don't quite understand this. But the the, the issue about um, the, this China... Um, the big problem in this, because we're dealing with peasants by and large... Um, there's very little English spoken, I would imagine. Does that not make it very difficult for your average tourist who wants sort of, can I have tea with lemon, please? Yes, okay. So if you want your own private berth in one of these river journeys, in one of these boats, and you want a guide who's got English, it'll cost maybe 600 euros. And that's okay. not bad. For for six, seven days to see, uh, to get under the skin of China. Because, yeah. as you said, and your guide will then bring you up to these villages and bring you to the, you know, into the villages. particularly Because we all want to know what, peasants, thought that 90%, what that 1 billion people are thinking at the moment, because all of it's going to affect all of our all of our futures. And like, particularly if we want to know about China's past, like, you know, Mao Zedong, they, all those leaders came from the peasants. They didn't come from the aristocracy. Those yeah. peasants, at the moment, they're quiet because they're getting new hi-fis and new motorbikes every year. But they are going to dictate all our futures. So it's very, it's fascinating to get out into those countrysides and okay. get to know them. Now, yes. uh, when I read, and I'm going way back to when I was a kid, mm-hmm. when I read about the Yangtze after seeing the movie The Yangtze Incident, mm-hmm. um, the the um, there was a word, and I think it was started with a G. It was something like Ganji or a Genji yeah, or something. Uh, What's uh, that? Uh, uh, outsider. Yeah, but you're an outsider. And they were really worried about Westerners. Now, is that Ganji? Somebody will tell me. But is that kind of gone now from the Chinese culture? Are they better disposed to Westerners? Well, if you're in Beijing or Shanghai, you've no problem. They totally understand. Yeah, but up here now. No, up here they're still, you're going to get like stared at, you're going to get pointed at. People are be in awe. The idea of you being a white devil, you know, they will never have seen someone. uh, They're not accustomed to seeing white pale people. If you're going... 
like away from the river up into these little villages then yes. you are totally a white foreign devil they will see that huge nose on you and think you're uglier you look like you look like the demon you look like the classic image that, that they've been fed of yeah. demons um, yeah God, now the other thing mm. I read about and I go back to when I can't be much more than 13 or 14 and mm-hmm. um, this river is enormous third biggest in the world you said mm-hmm. but it also floods yeah. Now, the the problem is that mm-hmm. you have all these people living on the banks of this river, or at least they used to. Mm-hmm. It must have created enormous devastation. Yeah, so even in the 20th century, I mean, it's it's killed people. Every 10 years it floods, okay? So from the from stretching back thousands of years, it has killed people every 10 years when it floods. in Even in the 20th century, it killed over a million people. So they had to control it. And again, only China will realise we need to, da- to take this, which was the idea behind... Uh, getting 60,000 people to spend a decade building the dam. With that, they were able to control, they now control the level of the the river. They may have, you know, um, they may have, as I said, risen it by 175 metres and, and covered some very, like, wonderful old monuments, but they now control, not only do they do that, they now create 14% or 15% of the energy, of the electricity of China from that one river. Um, and no, there is no longer, and they've managed to use extra tributaries to irrigate more land because that's all China care about. Can they give electricity, power, and water to those 1.4 billion people? But the other thing about China, when I read about China, then I read about China in World War Two and mm-hmm. all this sort of stuff. When people die in tragedies, like for us, if 10,000 people died, it'd be a monumental tragedy in Europe, you know. For them, half a million or a million people die, and it's just a, a footnote in history almost. It was because all, of the size of the population. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, but it was all that, also that because the peasants never knew what was happening because, you know, the, the, the leaders, the Confucian idea of everything being centre controlled and the information never came down. Now with news, as we see, when there's an earthquake, when there's an outrage, with the, with the um, polluted milk, uh, milk formula scandal in China, people were, ne- were genuinely outside, uh, outraged. And there is now the equivalent of a Joe Duffy show where people will complain and will get back to the communist... Does Joe Duffy know that there's a, a Joe Duffy <laughs> show? I must ask him. When they started off, there was a five-minute delay. So it was as if Joe Duffy was there, but he could be stopped at any moment by the apparatchiks. But I, I actually I interviewed the director of the, of the dam uh, Mr. Yeah. Guo at the time and this was so the dam was so big that when it was finished this was before the the floodgates were closed or opened you know to, to make this uh, reservoir it's so big now that it has changed the the circle of the earth's axis if you have one big weight on one part of the earth okay the earth now rotates slightly differently than it did before so I said to him look you're one man what do you what is it like for you playing God with the planet earth and he couldn't understand. I had to ask him again and again through a translator. And the idea, first he didn't understand what God was. He didn't even believe in the concept <laughs> of God. But I started to say, look, you're playing with nature. And he said, no. He said, you don't understand. We humans are nature. So if humans do something to nature, it's nature doing something to nature. It gave me a completely understand, a different perspective on how China relates to their worlds. So that's why you're going to this area. Are the gorges themselves worth going to see? Some of them are. There's three gorges, as we say. You know, they're not, so the whole thing, it was a river with a spectacular sheer sides of rock, you know, dropping down on each side. With that 175 metre gain, they're not quite as spectacular anymore because they're not as high, okay? And a lot of the, 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 um, 
little steps that used to link down from the river to the little villages are all covered up because the steps are gone, the villages are gone, the little temples that are have uh, uh, gone. So now you're imagining things. But let's say in in Wushan, so the middle, the the the, the most beautiful um, gorge is the Kutang Gorge. It's the smallest, it's the sharpest sides. These little paddy fields and terrace fields running down to the sheer uh, scarp, uh, uh, scarpments of rock, and then down into the river. But Wushan, between that and the and the Wu Gorge is Wushan, the town of Wushan. Now it is, as I said, retaken um, two hundred meters hi- higher than where it was. But they rebuilt. They just took every single block and rebuilt it up up above, but dismantled all the tenements and rebuilt like beautiful. Um, beautiful apartments instead. The thing to do is you get off at Wushang and you go up into the little gorges, which is, it's nothing to do with the Yangtze River. It's a whole other river. But there's these, uh, it's, it's basically into, uh, you know, Peasantville, un, un, uncontrolled wild land where people are still wearing home-knit clothes. And they have this tradition of dragging the, the, river, the boats up the river, up the rocky parts of the river. Um, and you're just, you're seeing China as it would have been in the 18th century. It's like, to have that potent sense that you can never get if you're just going to Beijing but, or Shanghai. But you anymore. also said to me, you wouldn't yeah. necessarily go on a boat all the way, you get a train. Yeah, yeah. You, what yeah. would you do with a train? Where well, would you go? I mean, trains aren't very comfortable. You, the thing is, I said, the whole journey is from Wangzhou, or I suppose from, no, from Chongqing, really, to Wangzhou. Chongqing isn't uh, the Chongqing to Wangzhou part is sort of boring so unless you're big into if you want to look out at factories endless factories and sort of grim greyness it is worth doing the great thing is you're going to get to know people there's a few lovely stops there's a gorgeous place called Shibadzai on that journey it's about three hours um, past Zhongzhou um, and uh, I passed sorry passed uh, into the Zhongzhou region past Chongqing and it's just 12 stories wooden pagoda above the river Um, and again it's Whenever you're talking about this, this is something from the 17th century. But the Chinese don't believe they recreate things. It's the same way, like we talked about this in Japan, I think. They recreate their wooden buildings again and again. So it's not going to be the original timbers. They don't have this idea, this respect. But it's the fact that it has been there in that shape, more or less, for that length of time. Um, so, yeah, the, the the whole idea about there, the food isn't going to be great. It's mainly, as I said, noodles and... Uh, if you, I mean, if you're going on the first-class liners, it's, it's it's actually luxury. But there's no point in that. There's no point in going to China and eating Western food. You know, you need to have a good English-speaking guide with you who can, you know, steer you clear of some of the raw pig's intestines and things, um, and just to eat the lovely batsai and the lovely sort of spring vegetables they they do have. Um, I know one time, like it can be tricky. I, I arrived in Yichang, a little village again on the side of the river it's a town now on the side of the river but you go arrive on a Sunday everything is closed it's raining there's nobody around because they're not some of these towns are not set up for for tourists Um, and I saw I was looking for canting canting can is eat so eat place I mean there's a restaurant canting and I knew I mean I knew a bit of Mandarin but I just knew a a symbol or two and I knew the symbol for canting I kept on looking and it was dark because they didn't even have lights on um, but I saw finally this one symbol for canting and I went inside and I was with my brother and we sat down at a table and this woman came on and I, I ordered, you know, just some batsai and some rice for me and a bit of meat for my brother. And the woman just stared at us. And so I, but people often didn't understand my Chinese. So I repeated it for her like twice over and eventually she just fled. And I heard there was a baby in the back room and she went and then the baby was taken out and then there was nobody came. For like 20 minutes we were left there until my brother like turned to me and said, are you sure this is a restaurant? And I said, yeah, yeah, it must be. I saw Canting on the outside. And then nobody came. And I looked around. There was no sign that actually could prove that this was a restaurant. And suddenly this man came in. He was a local school teacher. 
So I had actually gone into someone's house. She had <laughs> petrified. She had gone for the school teacher who had a little bit of English. And he comes down. He says, my Chinatown welcomes you, foreign friends. We extend our democracy with our communism. And they had, all the villagers came together and brought out foods for it and put us on the table. <laughs> so that's what you're going for. It's, it's an uncomfortable, unsettling experience. But that is the true China. It's what you're going to get if you go down the Yangtze River. Well, there you have it, the Yangtze River. For me, I think I won't bother. I'll just get a DVD of the Yangtze <laughs> incident with Richard Dodd uh, but the Yangtze River brought to you as always by Monk on McGann Tuesday travel here on the right hook we'll be back next week